0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask that question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and to our noted listeners out there, this is the 500th show of ROI. And here we go, drum roll please. There we go. And our noted guest for today's show is our second guest in the history of ROI, Dr. Sarah Butler, King George III, professor of English history at Ohio State University, who is going to talk to us about her book, Pain, Penance, and Protest, Penfort Edure in Medieval England. Joining us for the second segment of our show are our history buffs and regulars since the show started 500 ago, Jay Swords and Rick Sweet. To begin with, we want to welcome Sarah back. How are you doing, Sarah? Great.
1: Delighted to be
2: back.
0: Yes, uh, it gives us the greatest pleasure that this you were our second guest on a very cold December day when um, Jay can jump in. I don't know if we knew what we were doing on that day, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure we didn't know what no, we, we were doing. No, we didn't know what we were doing, about. but what did save well, us... faked it well. Well, we right. had two guests that knew what they were
2: talking right. about, it Which it just saved us so often, <laughs> yes. Yes. yes.
0: And of course, that was Doc Sarah, and uh, I had come across her book in a historical journal and i called you up and i said hey we got this radio show forming and would you like to be on and there was this pause of silence because i don't think anybody ever called you to ask you this before (laughs) (laughs) or read her book all right well we did read the article we read the article (laughs) so but uh do you remember that day well
1: Oh, I do, and I remember thinking somebody actually wants to talk about my research. Really, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yes. So let's start us off with the basic information. This is the Faruqta Naren part of our show. Can you provide our listeners with the um, on what the penfort Edur means and why is it used in medieval England?
1: So penfort adur sounds an awful lot like a form of torture. However, technically it is not a form of torture because torture was used for very specific purposes in medieval law, particularly to get people to produce a confession. But pen is what happens when a person is accused of a felony in medieval English law, and that person does what they call stands mute, i.e. refuses to plead. In the English legal system of the Middle Ages, it was absolutely critical to plead because pleading was considered consent to being tried. And and in doing that, that means you're also going to follow the dictates of the law. So if you refuse to plead, they didn't know what to do. The whole thing just kind of ground to a halt. So what they did was send you back to prison and encourage you. Through the conditions to to think about changing your mind and actually pleading. So pen forte de ref, refer, refuse, uh sorry refers to a whole bunch of practices that are sort of grouped under this umbrella term. Um, certainly, it's putting you in miserable prison conditions without very much clothing on, isolation. Um, They refer to it as the diet but this diet is uh, a couple of mouthfuls of rye bread on one day and then a couple of uh, mouthfuls of puddle water the next day alternating back and forth but in particular what people get most freaked out about Is the pressing with weights part. So if really necessary, because you're being very stubborn and refusing to change your mind, they will then load your body up with weights, i.e. irons or stones to try to convince you to actually change your mind.
0: Okay, um, if this wasn't the 500th show, I would never ask that. But do you ever, like, sit around with colleagues and say, hey, you know, for some fun, let's try the uh, Penfort Adour, because I must admit, you do such a marvelous job presenting them like you have done all the shows, Mm -hmm. and you have a level of excitement to it that goes with some people (laughs) tortured and suffering pretty poorly. I normally wouldn't ask a guest this, but this is the fifth time you've been on. So when you find these notices, do you go to your... Do you go to your colleagues say, "Hey, I found something more torturous"? I... Uh,
1: no, but I will say <laughs> there are two scientists at a university somewhere in the UK who actually they're really interested in like crowds and how much pressure people can handle being pressed in crowds. And they compare this to Pen Porte dure and try and talk about what kind of pressure people can actually handle carrying. And apparently we can handle quite a bit, providing it's on the chest, because that's where we're able to carry most of our weight.
0: Okay, so um, how long did this sentence go on, or punishment, I should say? Days, week, months, whatever?
1: So it really depends. So here's the thing. The one instance of Pen Forte d'Or that really sticks in most people's memories is the instance with Margaret Clitheroe in 1586. She was um, a Catholic recusant who was accused of harboring priests, and she absolutely refused to plead. And whatever they did, they could not convince her to plead. And in her situation, they made this a really public death sentence, essentially. Um, they took her out in into the... the bridge in front of the toll bridge out there in York, the city of York, and they placed a little stone under her back and then uh, laid her down and tied her into the shape of a cross. Um, They also then put a door on her chest and they started loading seven to eight hundred pounds of weight now, she lasted 15 minutes, and the little stone underneath her spine meant that her spine cracked almost instantly. And that's what most people think of. So w- one person could sit back and say, "Ah, oh, maybe 15 minutes is however long it lasts. Part of the reason why I got interested in this, though, is that's what I always had in my head when it came to pen forty door. And when I started looking at the medieval examples, I discovered people who not only were suffering this weeks at a time, but sometimes months at a time, to the point where they were getting pardons from the king because it was declared a miracle that they were still alive. So it became pretty clear to me that there was something different going on in the Middle Ages.
0: Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for this next segment of our 500th show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
3: Find out what song is airing on KALA now, or a song that recently aired. It's all at the KALA website. Find out the artist, song title, and album source. It's on the KALA website. Find out what's playing on 88.5 FM, 106.1 FM, and the stinger now at KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back
0: to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name's John Keeley and this is the 500th show of ROI and this is the second segment which is referred to as the kitchen table. Our noted guest is our second guest ever, Dr. Sarah Butler. King George III, professor of English history at Ohio State University, and we're talking about her book, Pain, Penance, and Protest, Penfort a Dure in medieval England. The history buffs for today's show are the originals, Jay Swords and Rick Sweet. Jay, as a medieval historian and was the person who was goofy enough to agree to do this with me years ago, you get to start us off.
2: (laughs) Hi, Sarah.
4: Hi. Um, so I'm curious. It, it seems pretty obvious to me that that in the example you gave in the first segment of the show, this was a situation where you had a, a Catholic um, individual who simply refused, you know, on religious grounds, refused to accept the jurisdiction of a non-Catholic king, or at least the jurisdiction of of that kind of. So this obviously. What other reasons did people have for refusing to plea?
1: Excellent question, especially since I'm looking at this in the more medieval era where we don't have all of those um, sectarian issues. So this actually comes about in um, the early 13th century, where there are a whole host of changes to the English legal system as a result of the 12th century legal revolution, and It's not necessarily um, changes that by the people of England. Um, I think that, if anything, the people of England are actually really unhappy with how complicated and rule-bound law is becoming. And in particular, a lot of those who are accused of crimes are unhappy with the advent of the trial jury. They were much happier before that, when they could go in there and um, prove their innocence through something like compurgation. Compurgation is basically saying, I didn't do it, and bringing in a bunch of character witnesses who will say, Well, I wasn't present at the event, but he's not the kind of person who would have committed murder. So they much preferred that kind of system. However, um, that was eliminated during this whole. Um, legal reform under Henry II. They also got rid of trial by ordeal, which, believe it or not, quite a few people actually appreciated, and instead brought in jury trial. And I know that people today think jury trial is just a wonderful thing, but back in this period a lot of people were left there sitting and thinking that they would way rather be tried by God than by their (laughs) neighbours. So often this was about protesting the crown and protesting, sort of, you know, royal overreach and making all these changes that people weren't happy with. Okay,
2: Rick, Sarah, I was going to. Uh, this is just a footnote. Uh, this is the ninth time we've talked to you, and you <laughs> you have some of the most interesting topics. Why, in your research life, are you pursuing these? less-than-lighthearted topics.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're hoping you're going to get some sort of uh, in-depth view of my personal life Some kind hierarchy. of psychological uh, profile. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, she so, was crazy to be on the show in the first place. That's a given. <laughs> that starts it off.
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of the reason that I got into looking at history in the first place was trying to have a better understanding sort of of what people like myself would have been, you know, what our experiences would have been like in history. Well, in doing that, I think I have come to appreciate that in many ways, yes, there are some fundamental differences between the Middle Ages and today, but I'm not really sure that human nature and, you know, people in general have changed all that much. And one of the reasons I'm often keen to sort of look at these, you know, slightly more um, gruesome things, uh, these are often the ways that I can find out about uh, the average person and sort of what they had to say. I have always hated this narrative of peasants as sort of like victims of oppression. They were just oppressed and did nothing about it. You know, I want to find out the ways that they actually could sort of rise up in frustration, and not only through rebellion, because rebellion is that's such a rare instance. Um, one of the things that I got really excited about with this book is that realizing a lot of people who were standing mute saw themselves doing so in imitation of Jesus Christ, in particularly Jesus Christ when he stood before Herod, silently, refusing to acknowledge Herod's jurisdiction. And I think it's really important to recognize that people saw that they could stand up to the king this way, through silence. I mean, it's very much like passive and non-compliant, but those are the best ways for any sort of a peasant to stand up against a figure of authority in this period.
0: Okay, um, two questions for one, the serious one. Um, You bring this up, but Did the aristocratic class have to deal with anything the same? I know that you focus on, as you're saying, the common peasanter had no rights and was pretty much abused without um, question or challenge, but aristocrats, were they kind of brought in with the lords of the manor challenged in the same way or ever on record of being kind of going through the same process?
1: Yes, actually. Um, Although with aristocrats, it's a slightly different scenario. Um, There are instances in particular where aristocrats were refused the right to plead and they went to summary justice instead. Um, And I'm thinking particularly of Thomas Lancaster, Thomas of Lancaster, who um, really sort of Rose up against um, the monarchy in the hopes of pushing through some pretty serious reform, Uh, but in doing so was declared to be a traitor. He was not given an opportunity to plead at his trial, and the people saw it as an absolute misjustice, injustice, just very much like what we, those who uh, stand mute in the scenario that they are facing. And uh, one of the things that I think is really amazing about Thomas of Lancaster is that uh, popularly, he was seen to be a saint. People actually believed that there were miracles at his shrine, and they began gathering there to pray. And even the Church freaked out and tried their best (laughs) to convince people that, no, he's actually not a saint.
0: Okay, and the second question, has anyone told the new uh, King Charles III that this isn't an option anymore? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, so... <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what's what's really interesting? So I try to trace, very much um, a, a movement of rebellion against the monarchy by, you know, the lower class society. And yet, one of the most, like, ironic moments... Um, Charles I, when he was actually being tried by Parliament um, before his execution, he, of course, stood mute. He refused to plead because in pleading, he would be recognizing the jurisdiction of Parliament to try him. And he absolutely refused. And they tried over and over and over again to get him to plead. And what's really fascinating is, once again... Um, he recognized that what he was doing was very much an imitation of jesus christ and he tried very hard to play up that analogy so that he would go down in history as a martyr as he has
4: gotcha jay sarah i'm interested what kinds of uh what's the range of criminal charges uh in which people stood mute because you've already kind of hinted that you've got to range everything from treason to perhaps further down the, the list. So can you give us sort of a, yeah. a, a summary?
1: So it has to be a felony. So it has to be something like, and there's a very small grouping of felonies. I mean, it has to be homicy. Homicide, sorry, grand larceny, treason, but treason in various forms. So, like, counterfeiting money is also something that can fall into that category. Um, rape could also be a possibility, um, and abduction, and I think that's really it. Okay, Rick.
2: Sarah, you, uh, I think you touched on this a little bit. Uh, why did the Crown create Penfort at Dura?
1: This is where my work actually gets kind of controversial in some ways, or at least I hope it gets controversial If somebody decides to argue with me. I'm trying to argue that what is going on is that this is actually emerging out of what is also called the penitential revolution, that is happening at the exact same time as the legal revolution, that what they are really trying to do is to force these recalcitrant um, sinners... Onto the journey of penance, that they want them to start uh, the process um, of penance so that by the time they finally agree to be tried, then there is a possibility that they could actually be acquitted, because one could uh, be convinced that they are contrite and are going to, um, you know, sort of start a new life. Now, Part of the reason I argue this is, first of all, almost everything that is being inflicted on these people is actually part of penance. The fasting diet, the isolation, the tortures of the body, all of that is about penance in this period. Because the other part that we sort of forget, because we live in a very anti-pain society, they saw pain as a good thing. If you want to purify the soul... You have to punish the body. So pain is actually um, redemptive. It's not a bad thing. They wouldn't necessarily have seen this as cruelty, for example, the way historians often have liked to look at it. They would have seen this as an opportunity for this person through the penitential process to be redeemed.
0: Okay. This is why I argue modernism is much better. That's just my little stick on it. <laughs> I'm not one suffering for others. It isn't it's not going down. Jay, go ahead. <laughs> Sarah, you talk about the
4: penitential um revolution that's going on. Is this leading ultimately to things like the Inquisition and then ultimately into the early modern period? Uh, some of the things that that were going on with heretics and witches and so forth where the argument at least was that you were saving someone's soul by putting them through whatever it was that you were putting them through uh and Mm -hmm. that even death was a was a perfectly acceptable option if you could argue that you had saved their soul in the long run are we seeing sort of the beginning of that process and then as it evolves along
1: Yes, exactly. And part of what I think is exciting about this is so many people like to believe that England is exceptional in that it never participated in the Inquisition at all. But we do see Inquisitional culture there. And that's because the Inquisition, it's part of the Church, and the Church is in England, and a lot of that Inquisitional culture is actually just the Church's legal culture. I would argue that something like pen Fort de doer very much comes out of the ecclesiastical um, punitive practices. It's an adoption of it by the English state, but I don't actually think that England's alone in this. I think we see very similar things going on across the rest of the continent as well. Rick?
2: Sarah, when did uh, this process, this procedure, end in uh, English society?
1: Uh, So this actually goes on a lot longer than you would recognize. (laughs) Um, So 1772, they finally looked at this and said, all right, we need to find a way um, so that we don't have to— to subject people to pen dur just because they refused to plead. So in 1772, they decided that silence would be interpreted as a plea of guilt. Now, obviously, we don't do that anymore. Um, So in 1827, they overturned that, and that overturning was principally because of um, a lot more psychiatric education, where they decided that instead we should really be looking at silence as a plea of not guilty, which is you know where we've been ever since.
0: Okay, um, when you sit there and assess this whole process, um, were there mm-hmm. different parts of? England that um, I would say maybe dropped the hammer more that they said, you know, this is really the answer? Or is there any evidence where there were other parts of what, uh, I know England isn't actually 100% autonomous at the time, but there are other places farther away from London that said, uh, yeah, let's try something else
1: um let's try something else you mean instead of pen forte
0: yes yes or or you know we're not going to go to the extreme with the uh s- the small pebble in the back of the spine and crushing someone.
1: yeah well let me say the small pebble in the back of the spine i think that was very much for margaret Clitheroe because it was such right. a sensationalized case i really think actually that pen door it it was not that common and I think that most of the time it was really this starvation diet more than anything. And that's part, been part of my goal in this book, to highlight that the medieval version of it was really quite tame compared to anything we see in the early modern era. Um, But I think that it's important to recognize, you know, honestly, prison in this period is just miserable anyways, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So most of the time, I don't actually think you need to go to such extremes. Just putting people in prison for a little bit was often considered to be coercion enough to get them to do whatever you needed them to do.
0: Okay. Jay? Sarah, that
4: makes me wonder since this is a denial of jurisdiction ultimately at least that's what you're you're mm-hmm. doing um did many folks in the middle ages see v- someone dying in prison as as a loss to some extent because by dying i got out from under your jurisdiction um yeah did, did they look at it that was there this is going to sound weird but was there an attempt at mm-hmm. some point to yeah no we're gonna we're gonna feed you better and we're going to nurse you back to health slightly so that we can do this to you again. I can see things being Mm -hmm. cyclical here.
1: So I think that in general it's important to point out that most people who went through Penn Forty Door Actually broke down and pleaded eventually um, and I wonder I, I why think, yeah seriously right um, so I don't think we have like tons like we don't have tons of people actually dying in prison from this, and I don't think the crown would have wanted that to be the case either because these are prisons that reflect on the king and if people are dying in prison all the time it looks terrible on the king so that's that's not really he would either. But I do also think for a lot of people, um, the bigger thing was they made their protest. You don't necessarily need to stick it all the way through until death. But one thing that I do want to highlight here, what I find interesting, this did not actually happen all that often. There are very, very few cases of this. But when it does happen, it's usually at one jail delivery where a bunch of people are being delivered all at the same time. You'll have, let's like, say, 200 people being delivered in one day. And 17 of them all together will decide that they are going to stand mute. So that's like a big group protest, a collective protest happening all at once with something that's, that's really quite rare. So I think that it, it made a statement silently but it did make a statement and that was the most important part
0: okay as you know sarah it is customary that we give our guests the last word on the show and we've got a minute left so why do you think knowing about the medieval ideas of justice especially this one are relevant in today's
1: world so i would actually say that um part of this is and and you may Disagree with me here on it after we talked a lot about violence, but part of this is to show that the Middle Ages was not quite as violent at times as people often believe. And this is mostly to fight people like Steven Pinker, the Harvard psychologist who pretends he's an historian at times, who tries to say we are living in the most peaceful era ever in history. I would actually argue that we can only make that argument when we see the Middle Ages as extraordinarily violent. But if we start realizing that often the violence is not quite as bad as people have imagined, then that argument really starts to fall apart. And we can get rid of our delusions and realize we're really not living in a very peaceful era at all. And we could work on that.
0: Okay. I couldn't agree more. When we come back, we will wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
3: You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. plus Apple podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
0: This concludes the 500th show of ROI. Relevant or irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled "Kayla's Theme," which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley, and we would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Sarah Butler, King George III, Professor of English History at Ohio State University, who talked with us about her book "Pain, Penance, and Protest: Pen Fort A Dure." in medieval England. The history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and Rick Sweet. This is ROI relevant or irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsopulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.